you could be seated. That is a great song. Wow. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. We are glad to have you here this morning. If you're watching on the internet, we're glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, we are right now in a very long series. Uh, it's entitled, uh, It's Personal, Not Business. And uh, we are talking about why God invented the church, the significance of the church, how we encourage each other. And uh, so this morning, if you are watching on the internet or if you're in this room and you're not a child of God, we are so glad to have you watching. But please understand the stuff we're talking about right now is for God's family. And uh, so don't go, well, how does that fit me? And the thing you need to worry about right now is, is accepting Christ's offer to forgive your sin. And we, that's what we want for you. We certainly want you to like us, but boy, we want you to know Jesus Christ and how much he loves you. And uh, so thanks for being with us today. In a few moments, we are going to take an offering. If you're visiting with us, that's not for you. Uh, the offering is uh, what we give those of us who attend here regularly to support the work of the Lord here and abroad and take care of each other. But uh, we don't want you distracted by that. If you would take a moment and OSHA open your worship guide, I do want to highlight some things for y'all. We, uh, so I had a couple people ask this morning about this. Um, uh, so let me highlight, uh, how do you become a member of Carpenter's Way? We've got folks who'd like to join our church. Uh, Carpenter's Way is not a complicated place to join. Uh, four times a year, we, we, we have what we call new member classes or Carpenter's Way 101. In the middle panel, about halfway down, you see that, what is Carpenter's Way? Uh, and that is going to take place on Sunday, March 5th. Basically, it starts at 9.30 in the morning. There's a couple breaks in the middle, but it ends about 11.45. And what we do during that morning is we go through uh, our statement of faith. You will meet most of the leaders of our church. Uh, you'll find out how we function, how decisions are made. And the reason is, is because we don't want you here six months and go, oh, I didn't realize that's what you guys taught or that's what you believe. We want you to know everything before you join, because when you join, we want you to jump in and be a part of uh, the leadership and of the church. So that's that uh, coming up soon. And and uh, we would love to have you join us if you have not. And look, just because you go through the class doesn't mean you have to become a member. It's a great way to find out how we function, uh, especially in light of all that we've been talking about the last few weeks about uh, the order of the church and why God does what he does in the local body of Christ. Um, I also want to mention uh, we want to be praying. Our, today our, our children come back from preteen camp. And uh, as they head back, uh, they have a, the last morning of that is very significant. There's a call to surrender, uh, great worship. But as they come home, we want to pray that this is just a firing up point uh, for their lives. So there's a list of the kids and adult campers uh, in your worship guide in the middle top. So please take some time to look at that. Um, the only other thing, oh, I do want to mention two more things. And these are, these are business issues. Number one. I want to remind you, it's been a while since we've talked about it, that there is an app for your smartphone. If you have a smartphone, whether it's the, uh, Apple, uh, an Apple phone or even if it is uh, any of the other formats, we have, a, we have apps. If you go to the store, App Store, you'll find Carpenter's Way Digital Campus. And we encourage you to download that and then register, sign up. There was some problems with the registration process. That's been fixed. But register. We'll give you uh, permission to get in. The reason that's significant is because you can pretty much do anything there from watching old archive services to watching us live. Uh, the other thing you can do is you can be updated regularly on prayer requests. There's a button there you push. You can put a prayer request, and, and we will pray for you. Uh, I know that a lot of you are used to calling the office, and that's fine as well. But when you call the office and Dolores puts it on the app, when somebody's praying, there's a little button somebody can hit that just prayed for you. Uh, it goes to Dolores. And uh, so Dolores is constantly being prayed for. But we, we want you, when you have a need like that's, that's in the middle of the night, you can put it on that app, and all there's a group of folks who signed up to pray, and they can just hit, hit it back, and you'll get a, little, a quick note saying, somebody's, Mark Wilkie's praying for you. 
And that's encouraging when you're scared. So that's why the app is valuable. You can, you can do lots of stuff on there. But I encourage you, it's on there. Uh, if you have any questions on how to download that app, uh, you can come talk to us. We'll figure it out with you. Uh, but it is going to be in your apps, app stores on your smartphone so, uh, or on your tablet as well. So uh, take, take note of that. If I can have the uh, ushers come forward at this time, we will prepare, prepare for our offering. Uh, I want to say one other thing, and that is to remind you that uh, although this is a very safe place and we have strong security inside, I want to remind you that as you go to the parking lot, there are people that kind of wander through that may not be as safe. So just keep your eyes alert as you're out there. Uh, periodically, we have people wandering through and things happen, and, and uh, uh, we, just, we just want you to be as safe as possible. We're going to start putting some people in the parking lot as well just to make sure you're safe as you get out there. And, and uh, you know, the world is a weird place, and if somebody wants attention, they're going to find a church parking lot on Sundays. And uh, that's, uh, we, just, we just want you to be alert. So, okay? Okay, Pastor Mark. On three. One, two, three. Very good, children. <laughs> that was fun. And I see Bobby and Susan. Do you guys remember that? That's how old I am. All right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning. And, and uh, thank you. Thank you for East Texas. What a gorgeous few days we have had. Uh, tomorrow we're going to get rain and then cooler weather and then it'll be warm again. Uh, we get all the seasons in a week here and we're, we're thankful that we get to live in this beautiful place and we can drive down the street and when there's uh, snow in other parts of the country, we have green grass and, and we are blessed, Lord, and we thank you for what we have and sorry at times we complain about it. Um, we, know, we know you have blessed us uh, with, with life here and people and culture and context and it's just, it's just a wonderful thing and Lord, thank you for this church where we can gather each week and open your word and learn from you. Father, I ask you this morning to speak to us. I ask that we would understand what uh, you are trying to say through Paul. And uh, Lord, as we give back, we thank you for those uh, that give. We pray you would bless them. Uh, Father, we thank you for the money that's already been received this year. We're, uh, help us to be careful with it, to use it for your glory, and, and uh, multiply it, Father. Help us to always have enough to do just what you want us to do and trust you with the rest. And we love you, Dad, and we, we thank you that you love us. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir.
if you noticed, but uh, the songs that we sing aren't crying out for God to save us or hoping that He'll show favor on us. The songs that we sing are in reaction to what He has already done. Because as God's kids, we live and serve from from, from a position, not in hopes of a position. And too often our life, our doctrine, how we live out our doctrine doesn't reflect what we claim to believe. There is therefore, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are hidden in Christ Jesus. And we gather together this morning as the children of God, worshiping and thankful for what He has already done, and in hopes of becoming more like Him in how we live. And uh, that, is, uh, that is a difficult thing. Uh, I, I want to say before I pray, and then we'll get into our text today, I want to say that getting saved is easy, being adopted is easy, the price has been paid, it's all the work of God, you just have to accept that gift. But the disciples call. If you want to follow me, Jesus said, if you want to be one of my disciples, you're going to have to pick up your cross. And uh, too often in the church, we marry those two things together. They're not the same thing. You can be God's kid and a bad kid, but there's no joy there. The joy of the Lord will not be your strength as long as you're saved and living in the flesh. It just doesn't happen. There is a surrender of self. If you believe that you have been saved from rat poison that will kill you, going back and putting that rat poison in a cupcake with good frosting still will make you sick. And just because you're saved doesn't mean sin won't make you sick. And so we're in a series right now where we're talking about what the church is, that it's not a business, it's personal. And uh, there uh, is a lot of confusion in our culture, and I think part, a lot of it's responsibility of the church. We keep trying to make, or some of us are trying to make the world act like the church. 
the world, the lost, is not supposed to be moral. They're not supposed to have our, our moral compass. They're not supposed to walk with God. That's not how the world works. They're supposed to live in the flesh. That's what they do. That's, what, that's the difference between the lies of Satan and the lies of God. The lies of Satan say, feed your flesh. The, li- the, the truths of God say, live to serve because I've taken care of your flesh. And we have to understand that, that, that we gather together to be encouraged and spurred on in love and good deeds. And that's why we're here this morning. And I say all that because this morning we're going to get into some stuff. And there's going to be some of you who aren't saved or who are cynical and haven't been to church in years, especially if you're watching on the internet. And you're going to go, oh, that preacher, he's just like every other preacher. <laughs> and that's probably true, unfortunately. I'm just as sinful and self-centered. Uh, having said that, uh, one of the things that we do at Carpenter's Way is we go verse by verse. And I've told you lots of reasons I like to do that, but one of the reasons is I don't get the luxury of skipping stuff that I don't necessarily like. And this morning's text, and the Bible study leaders are fully aware of it, is a very uncomfortable text for me because it talks about how to treat a pastor. Nonetheless, Paul sent it to Timothy to tell the church of Ephesus how that's supposed to be. So I'm going to go through it verse by verse just like I do everything else, and I'm going to preach it and not apologize for it because I'm a part of the flock too. So I want you to understand if you're visiting today or if you are not a child of God and you're just trying to figure the church out, this message is for God's kids and specifically the local church. And uh, you're welcome to listen in and we want you to, but we really want you to get to know God and walk with him. This is for those of us who have jumped in or part of this body. So let's pray together and ask God to speak to us. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we can gather here together and sing of your holiness. We can sing of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy, not in hopes of receiving it, but because we already have received it. We do not live out of a position of weakness, but out of a position of strength. Because there is no condemnation for us, we can live with reckless abandon to serve you and to serve others. And I pray that we would see that. That fear, the fear and the uh, consequences of our sin are not not an issue for us anymore because, not so that we can indulge in it, but because then we don't have to worry about it and we can care for others. We can now take our eyes off of ourselves and be concerned for each other. So I ask this morning that your Holy Spirit, Father, would speak to us and and move us and and affect us and change us, and that we would leave this place wanting to be a little bit more how you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It was in our time together last week that we saw how we interact with each other here in the local church, that it's actually part of our testimony. In fact, as we looked at John chapter 17, uh, if the miracles of Jesus were a validation If the miracles of Jesus were a validation of of Jesus' call from the Father, in other words, please understand there were hundreds, if not thousands of people, some historians say tens of thousands of people, living at the time of Christ who claimed to be the Messiah. Only one of them, through his miraculous supernatural activities, validated his claims. Jesus said the Father sent me. They all said God the Father sent them, but Jesus proved it by doing things that only God the Father could do or empower him to do. Well, in that same thing, look at John 17, 20 and 21 with me. I am praying, this is Jesus' prayer before his arrest. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, now this is the part you want to pay attention to, so that Why does he want us unified? So that the world will believe that you sent me. In other words, our unity 
how we care for each other, how the world sees us acting is of supernatural nature. The church acts just like a political action committee today. Not just in the world, but in the church. There are hymns people, there are chorus people, there are King James people, there are whatever. You, we break into our little groups. There are Calvinists and Arminians, and we break into our tiny groups and we attack each other like the Republicans attack the conservative side of the Republican parties and the rhinos and the Democrats attack the liberal side. We in the church act just like the world. And the reason unity speaks on behalf of the supernatural power of God is because only God can do that work in the lives of real people. Only God can make people from every socioeconomic status, every race background, every religious history, every faith group, and bring them together under the cross for the sole purpose of unity, of being the kids of God. And when we stand together, Jesus even says, it is so that the world will believe that God sent the Son. In 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul says it a different way. Keep a close watch, Pastor Timothy, on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for, your sake, for the sake of your own salvation, but also for the salvation of those who hear you. Paul has Timothy uh, surrendering and not only being careful of what he teaches, but how he leaves, not only for himself and his relationship with God, but the relationship of those watching him. It was important that for those who hear him, they would see his life different. We would all agree that there's too much hypocrisy within the local church. Too much hypocrisy. Agreed? Not just from the pulpit, but in the pews. Some of you are going, what's a pew? It's a long bench. We don't have them here. There's too much hypocrisy claiming to be something that we don't care about when we leave. Too much hypocrisy. Paul and Jesus are saying that how we live should reflect what we say we believe. Or I can reverse it. What we say we believe should affect how we live. Within First Church of Ephesus, there were some issues that sound all too familiar. Maybe our issues aren't exactly the same, but they are similar people issues. You remember from last week's text in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, Paul told Timothy to make sure that he tells them to speak to each other as family. And you'll recall that he instructs Paul, uh, Timothy to tell older men, younger men to speak to, father, uh, to speak to the older men as their fathers. Younger men, he as a pastor is supposed to speak to the... <laughs> it is not easy to say this for me apparently. Uh, it is, they're supposed to speak to the older women as mothers. They're supposed to speak to the younger men as brothers and younger women as little sisters with all purity. And last week we spent a minute or two talking about that older men weren't to look at the younger women in the church as potential mates. They weren't supposed to look at them in pure ways, but they were supposed to treat them as their little sisters, protective. But it wasn't the only problem going on in that church. Apparently there was a widow problem. There were widows with financial needs, and so Paul gives instructions to Timothy on how to decide which of those widows received financial help from the church and which did not, and what to do with those who did not receive financial help. For those of you who think that uh, the church's benevolence is supposed to be to anybody with need, you need to go back and read 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 16. The church's benevolence is not given to anybody and everybody, and that is a mistake that the Bible Belt churches are making every day in this community. We keep giving away what is supposed to be a tool for ministry. There is, there is 
judgments to be made and rules to be, and expectations to be had for those that we help. And we talked about that last week. This whole section of Paul's letter from last week to this week's text deals with how the church is to relate to each other within the local body. It's not the universal church alone, it's the local body. And the first section was about the flock, how, how, how y'all are supposed to deal with each other in communication with those in need. But now in today's text, in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25, he's going to talk about how we're supposed to relate to the shepherds of the flock. And I'm going to preach louder and harder than you've ever heard me preach. Let's, let's just read it together. I'm, I'm just teasing. Light, lighten up. Uh, Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well. Nobody ever amens that verse. <sighs> Julie, that was your chance. <laughs> Elders who do their work should be, well, should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Thank you. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> For the scripture says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. I could have gone without that section. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. Don't amen that. We're talking about pastors here. This will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Drink only water. You ought to, uh, do, don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. Remember the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious. And, the good, de uh, and good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. From having dealt with how to talk to each other and how to treat those within the flock who had financial, genuine financial need, now to teaching us and instructing Paul, Paul instructing Timothy, or God through Paul instructing Timothy on how to treat shepherds or pastors or elders. Many of us grew, uh, grew up hearing a verse from the Psalms, uh, and, and, and I want to add misused, where David writes, don't stand against God's anointed. Remember that? And that was code for, don't mess with me, God will judge you. I, like Elisha, will call a bear out, and he will eat you. Okay, you didn't grow up as legalistic as I did. The fact is, you are all anointed now. After Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon you, and you are called into the ministry. So that verse is irrelevant to you today. But there are New Testament instructions for how we relate to each other. Under God as our senior shepherd, I want to remind you that it is the job of the elders, and I keep saying it every week because you need to get this and our elders need to understand this and our pastors need to understand this. It is the job of the shepherds of this flock to make sure that the only senior pastor is Jesus Christ. It is not the job of the shepherds to figure out how to make their vision come to fruition. It is the job of the shepherds of this flock, whether it's pastoral staff or elders, to make sure that God's vision for this flock is fulfilled. Amen. That's why we go verse by verse. Because when we don't go verse by verse, you're going to hear what Mark thinks you should be. And who cares what Mark thinks we should be? It doesn't matter. What matters is what God thinks we should be. And it is our job as elders... It is our job as Bible study shepherds. It is our job as the shepherds of the children's ministry and the student ministry to make sure that God's vision for your life comes to fruition, not ours. 
Well, what's the difference? That means we got to be prayerful and in the Word. If we're not, you're going to get our opinion, our political opinion, our, our bent, our context, our frustrations. You're going to hear it. And you can't help it as a, as a teacher and a, and a Bible study leader and a preacher. That's going to seep through. But you better make darn sure that you've got accountability. Otherwise, you're going to hear what I think. This is not Mark Wilkie's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's Jesus Christ's church. And he is the senior pastor, and we've got to fight to keep him there. Having said that, we've got to stick with the word, even the stuff that's kind of hard to hear. Because it goes against what our flesh wants. I know some of you are going, well, why is this such a tough text for you? I'll get there. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. There are actually two instructions on how to interact with a shepherd. And this goes beyond, in general speaking, just the pastor. It's the elders of the flock. It's your Bible study leaders. But generally speaking, how do we interact? And the first one is they deserve respect. They are to be treated with respect, whether you like them or not. That they're to be respected. In Hebrews 13, 17, it actually explains a little bit why. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. And they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not benefit you. Let me start by saying that pastors are not always right. In fact, we may be wrong a lot, but a pastor whose heart belongs to the Lord, who has been called by God, is way more than a teacher of doctrine. He or she is a protector and a gift to you as you walk through life. Now, let me be clear. The problem with the way we visualize local church is we look at this gathering as the church and we look at Bible study as an, kind of an accessory, like, a, like windows that are automatic or go up and down, or air conditioning. I've aged myself yet again. We look at them as accessories, and I'm here to tell you that in a church of five or 600, the reality is you're not gonna make relationships in this room. You gotta get into relationships outside of this room. It's outside of this room that you spur each other on to love and good deeds. It's inside the room that I set vision, biblical vision for the flock. I start conversations each week, and then you go and you wrestle with them. You know, it is interesting, and I, I don't know why this is traditional, but in traditional evangelical churches, and that includes both Assemblies of God, because we've got a lot of you here from that background, or for, for Baptist background, for whatever reason, usually you start with Bible study or Sunday school, and then you go into church after. I think that's exactly wrong. There's nothing wrong with it that way, but the reality is I want you to wrestle with the things that are being taught as a family. A little heresy is good for the flock. Why? Because it drives you back to the Word. If two people have a differing opinion on the same exact thing, it's going to make you go to the Word if we believe it's final authority for you to study. That's why we have Bible study, most of our Bible studies after, because I want you to be unsettled by things that are said and go, what is he talking about? You go into the class and you discover them. This church gives me the freedom to be uh, provocative. I like being provocative. That surprises you. I like to be biblically provocative. But you know, the Word of God doesn't always say what you think it says. In fact, a lot of stuff that is preached from pulpits today or read, written in books today aren't even in the Bible. And that's dangerous. 
It's dangerous because when you put music behind it or screens behind the preacher or the right attitude in a room, they can make it sound biblical when it has nothing to do with the Bible. Like, don't stand against God's anointed. Amen. Leave him alone. Unless you're one who has a problem with the pastor. The the truth is, you got to know the word in its context. And it's the job of the shepherds to oversee and set boundaries, but also to get to know you, to build into your life, to pray for you, to lift you up. It is the job of the flock to pray for each other. we got to build community, and we live in a culture that pretends to build community, but doesn't really, really build it. It takes work to be the church God wanted us to be. It takes work. It takes vulnerability. It takes time. It takes effort to be what God wants us to be. And part of that is not necessarily looking for a pastor that makes you feel good or necessarily that you like and want to fish with, but actually somebody who's going to shepherd you in a biblical way. And the whole rest of this letter and 2 Timothy is all about what a pastor's role is. There'll be plenty of instruction on that. But this talks about how you are to relate to that man or woman to encourage them, to respect them. Because if, if you make our jobs hard, it doesn't benefit you. One of the saddest things that happen is when I sit around with other pastors and they talk about how much they don't like their church. I don't have that problem. There's just a few of you I don't like. <laughs> just kidding. I'm funny this morning. But the truth is, I couldn't do that. I can't fake that. I actually really, really, really like you. In fact, between, and this happened years ago, sitting with pastors at lunch and listening to how discouraged and frustrated and angry they are, and actually spending that time with you during the week, I choose you. I know how hard this can be. But it is tragic to sit with pastors who don't like their flocks. And frankly, their flocks don't like them. It does you no good to slander a preacher because you don't like him. It does you no good. Their job is to protect you and provide for you and to care for you, whether you like them or not. Respect is because God called them as the senior pastor. Well, what if they're not called? That's in this text too. How do I deal with a pastor that's sinful? He didn't forget that. But the truth is, as much as you voted on me and I'll make it personal, I'm not a carpenter's way because you voted right. 12 years ago, I think all but four people voted for me and they were on staff. (laughs) That was a joke. I know that we can say, you know, and and there's about eight people here who I was on the search team. Let let me make it clear. I'm here because God called me. And the day will come when God calls me either home or elsewhere. Until then, surprise! If you like, and I know you do, because you smile, if you like the idea that it's not the job of the elders and the deacons and the Bible study leaders to make sure that their will is done at Carpenter's Way Baptist Church, you know what I mean? To make sure God's will is done, then you have to understand that that same rule goes for you. Your job is not to decide to decide who you like and who you don't like and which direction this church goes. Your job as members of this flock and as attenders of this flock is to make sure God's will is done here. And that means at times, you're going to have to swallow your pride and decide that this is God's church and not yours, just like the elders do. Make sense? You see, 
Too often we sit around and we say, it's the problem of the leadership of our church. That's why we stink. And pastors sit around and go, it's the people, those stupid people, when it's both of us. You see, the leaders of the church have to decide that Jesus Christ is, the char- is in charge. And the flock has to decide that Jesus Christ is in charge. And when we do, some of the things that annoy us about each other kind of go by the wayside. You are to respect your shepherds because God told you to. If they're sinning, we'll talk about that in a moment. But you do it out of obedience to Christ. See, now you know I don't like this text. I'm going, knock it off. I'm not. Actually, it's a great place to pastor here because I can preach this right now having a good experience. But this is true even for guys like Timothy that are having a really, really rough experience. It is what it is. And I guess it's time for us to decide if we believe the Bible is final authority. Don't tell me you believe it is. Live it. Hypocrisy isn't just up here. It's also out here. If you believe that the word of God is final authority and you read that you have to respect your shepherds, then you have to respect your shepherds. Irregardless of how you feel about them. Why? Because God is a senior pastor and he put them in authority over you. Understand? If you think that's an easy thing, if you don't think, there, okay, so we uh, culturally, one more thing, culturally, we think that presidents and congressmen and women have no feelings. So you get on Twitter and you tweet them. You're ugly. You're stupid. We do the same with shepherds. We get together with our friends and we trash them. And I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 16.10. Because this was happening, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about Timothy, young pastor Timothy. When Timothy comes, please don't intimidate him. He's doing the Lord's work just as I am. Don't let anyone treat him with contempt. Isn't that weird? You just don't expect a verse like that in the Bible, but I, I want you to know that nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Do you see it? It's really, really important for me that as we walk through these studies together that you realize nothing's changed in 2,000 years except technology. The church still struggles with its leadership. The leadership still struggles with the flock. Pastors are still babies. They still get ulcers. And Timothy is a meek guy who's really struggling. In fact, I would challenge you to go back and read Paul's letters and find out how he felt about ministry. This dude was struggling. When he walked into the church of Corinth, it actually says that he was tired and afraid, so he didn't do flashy ministry. He, He spoke to them with fear, and he let the Holy Spirit do his work through him. Why? Because he was overwhelmed and discouraged because they had been attacking him over and over again. It doesn't do any good for flocks to attack their shepherds, especially when God has tasked them with that. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, sock it to me, sock it to me, sock it to me. (laughs) I'm going to write a song, and it's going to be famous. That's the chorus. I don't have the rest of the song yet. Point number two, and my personal favorite. Elders who do their work should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, I don't want to do the ox thing, so I'm going to jump. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. A shepherd who is tasked with taking care of the flock, and I'm going to add full-time, and some of you are going to go, oh, it doesn't say full-time. So let me tell you why I'm going to take the liberty. When he says, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching, it is inferring that not everybody is going to be paid or paid as well. 
I've already this morning, most of our elders, I think all of our elders but one actually teaches a Bible study class, which means they get my outline early in the week. I've already had two of six elders approach me and inform me that they now want pay. <laughs> it's not my place to fire them, but you sure can. <laughs> there is an inference here that, that there are some who may work harder at the preaching and teaching than others. It's not to say that they're better at it. It's not to say that they're better elders. But the fact is that it is a blessing for a church to be able to have somebody who obsesses over preaching and prayer and ministry full-time. And it is no different today than it was in the New Testament times. Actually, Robert Grimes and I were talking this morning after he asked for more money. Um, uh, he was sharing. He, the truth is that it's really hard for us to measure the model because this was different back then. Pa Paul sent Timothy to pastor this church, but it was not a permanent setting. Paul, uh, Timothy was a missionary. He traveled throughout, and every, periodically, Paul would place him places. Sometimes he would send him for short times. Other times he would stay for long term. Uh, John the Apostle actually pastored in Ephesus for many years. It wasn't a permanent position. The, 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 the thing is, is that a missionary would come in, give organization structure and instruction, and then often they would leave. This was very, very common. And what he is saying is when a guy like Timothy comes in, or somebody who's going to be committing themselves to, to preaching and, and prayer and teaching in a full-time basis, make sure you take care of them. This is consistent throughout the New Testament. Paul said, I'm worthy of being paid, but I didn't want to be a burden to you, so I was a tent maker. But the fact remains that there are some that should be paid. How do we decide who should be paid and shouldn't? If we had 15 campuses and we had a full-time elder council, the pastor at each of those churches, you could make the case that every elder should be paid. The truth is it depends on two things, your context and how much money you have. I'm going to say those again. What you do and how much ministry you get and how much programming we have and how effective we are at it, whether it be missions in Africa or missions in East Texas, depends on a couple things. And one of those things is how much money you have. I'm not going to argue here today that actually every elder at Carpenter's Way should be paid because they'd run out of things to do and we need to be good stewards with money. But the truth is, if we had 15 campuses, if there's no money there to pay pastors, you can't have a pastor. If, if money dries up, pastors go part-time. And it, taking care of their family, maybe they can't, you can't maintain a pastor full-time. But you have to understand that something interesting is going on in this text. In last week's text and this week's text, there's an overriding principle that I want to get to and talk about for a few moments. And that is, take care of the widows. And there's not a person in this room that would say, when somebody's in need, it's part of our family. The church, yes. Yes, Pastor Mark, the church should be benevolent. The church should help them pay their bills. There's probably nobody who disagrees with that. Unless you're a jerk, so don't speak up. The truth is, to do that, it takes money. To pay a shepherd takes To pay a missionary, it takes where does that come from? You see, this whole context of this study is it's about personal, not business. But too often, churches take what's personal and they turn it into business. They refer to you as giving units. We have 240 giving units at Carpenter's Way Baptist Church. I actually don't know how many we have. I hate the name. You're not a giving unit. You're a family member. We have about 1,100 people who claim to go to Carpenter's Way on a regular basis. Every one of those 1,100 people over the age of 16 has a personal investment in what God is doing. Unless they don't understand that God is doing something through us. You see, Carpenter's Way doesn't exist just so we have something to do on Sundays. 
Carpenter's Way exists so that God's, the word of God will be transform, uh, transported throughout the globe. That's why we do mission work through uh, the Southern Baptist uh, International Mission Board, through the 14 or so or 15 missionaries we have, some in the Middle East, some are in India, some are in Germany, some are in East Texas. We as a, a flock have decided that those are valuable ministries. It's why we have a children's ministry with a director who's highly affected, Alicia Bonnet. It's, it's why we have a student ministry that's highly effective and led by a guy like Jeff Bonnet. It's why we have a, 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 a full-time pastor who obsesses over prayer and, and the preaching of the word that at this point is me, but someday will be someone else. Because we as a church have divide, decided that that is our value system. Some of you are thinking, well, I didn't decide that. That's on you, because every year the same eight people show up for our annual business meeting. I'm fine with that. It's three minutes long. But the truth is, if you don't get involved, you can't complain. We give out every November, at the beginning of November, we give you what the budget looks like. What are we going to do in the next year, starting January 1st? And, and they're all taken. And I just assume that since you read it and you like it, you don't show up. To be truthful, I don't want you to show up. I like eight people, because they're all the same people that are getting voted on for that year for offices. But the truth is, you can't say you haven't been invited to participate. You have. But once you make a decision by default or vote, we move forward with that vision. Make sense? You see, I'm, I'm going to say a couple things that are going to throw you off. Here are my provocative statements. Tithing is not a New Testament concept. It's an Old Testament concept. I'm speaking to those who've been in the church forever. But let me show you, the, the New Testament has a lot to say about giving, and I want to show you a few of those things that it says about giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 says, Now regarding your question about money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the, to the churches in Galatia. In other words, this is how churches give. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of money you have earned. Now you know why we take an offering every week. Oh, I thought that was business. Nope. It's how we take care of each other. And the mission work. For them, it was in Jerusalem. But in Galatia, it was for their own leadership. It was for their own church. It was for the widows in their churches. So that's the mode in which the church has always done this. Paul instructed the church. At the first day of the week, we take, a, we take money. And where does that money come from? Not the rich people, but everyone. It's personal, not business. Why should you give? Why should I give? Because I believe in the vision of the church. I believe in what God is doing and because I'm instructed to. 2 Corinthians 8.12 said this, Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. This is huge. And for those of you who like the prosperity gospel, this is going to be offensive. But give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give, it's acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you do not have. That should shut TBN down. Because TBN keeps saying, even if you don't have, you should put it on a credit card and God will return it to you. That's not what Paul is instructing you to do. He's saying, give proportionately to what you have. If you are poor, you shouldn't be giving a thousand bucks a month to the church, maybe five. But you should be participating. Well, that's kind of self-serving, preacher. This is the part of the message I don't like. I don't like talking about giving because it sounds selfish and I'm more cynical than any of you in the room. But for those of you who have never been to Carpenter's Way and are watching on the internet, I never talk about money unless I have to. Well, why do you have to today? Because it's in the text. 
The truth is, if, you, if this is personal and not business, every person who worships in this church or whatever local church you're in needs to participate financially. Again, proportionally based upon what you have. The instructions here are clear on how much to give. Giving to the church is not a tax, it's involvement. It takes care of our family business in this life. The instructions are in proportion to what you have. There is no amount listed. You should only give from what you have, not what you don't have. On the first day of the week, the first of your income, not after Starbucks and movies, not after you increase your Verizon bill to unlimited, but of the first before all that, we take care of each other before we buy more toys or eat out. Nobody has money left over after Starbucks and movies, just in case you're not clear. We, we don't have enough money to give. That's because you're feeding yourself. Your job is to feed widows and missionaries and light bills and pastors well, I don't like that. Then don't claim to believe the Bible is the word of God. I, I mean, it's, it's tough for those who are new to the church, and this is something that, that we, as the church is transitioning into a younger generation. Let me explain the concept of tithing in the church. I already said that tithing is an old covenant concept. But a lot of people in the church, when they go, well, how much do I give? Do I give $5 a month? Do I give $5,000 a month? Uh, a model based upon the Old Testament imagery a lot of people start by giving 10% of their income after taxes. That's where they start. Some of you are going to be able to give more. Some of you are going to be able to give less. That's not important. What's important is you give out of joy, believing in what God is doing through the local church's ministry. And let me be clear. Yesu Padam may be in India and Germany, but he is part of our local church's ministry. What Donna and her team does at the Mosaic Center is very much a part of Carpenter's Way. What's going on at the Pregnancy Help Center is very much what God is doing through our ministry. What Les is doing at prison, as long as I keep letting him out, is about our support. We are to support each other. We're not just throwing money away. We have people in place for accountability to make sure it goes where it needs to go. But that's how we live body life. So if you are not clear on where to start, 10% is a good place to start. Gosh, I give 25% to the government, I get 10% to the church, that only leaves me, man, that's 35% out of the top. Well, what else are you going to do with it? You're going to pay my bills. You need to pay your bills. And there may be some months you can't give. You can always give five. Why? Out of obedience. We're family. This isn't business. In business, you can decide what bills to pay. This is family. We believe in what God is doing. Final verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will, will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Are you, are you clear on how much to give? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's really personal. It's not tithe, it's not tin, it's in your heart. So pray with your spouse. Well, we don't pray together. That could be a problem too. Well, we don't budget. I don't know how much we have. Time to start. Do you realize Satan loves chaos because it keeps you from knowing? Even in your budgets. Well, I don't know how to budget. We will hook you up with people that help you budget. 
not so that we get more, but because God is calling us out of the chaos into the order of his plan. As a pastor, I've never made a lot of money, as people define a lot. I have always been well cared for. Having said that, we have a beautiful home because my wife is phenomenal at budgeting. She can take a dollar and, after stealing our neighbor's stuff, can make it ten. It's amazing what she can do with it. But to do that, you got to be wise. you got to live under structure. And again, we have people in place that would be glad to help you do that, not for carpenter's way sake, but because we want you to be healthy. We want to spur you on to love and good deeds. We want you to be able to be excited about what God is doing in the globe and your participation in it. Um, you must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or even in response to pressure. There goes TVN again. This is one of the reasons I don't like to talk about it because no matter how I say it, I'm passionate. People are like, man, he's pushed us. This message this morning is not about giving. It's about the church, the personal nature of the church. Giving is a part of that. Last week wasn't about widows. It's about how we take care of people in need. It wasn't even about how we talk to each other. It's about relating to one another as family. You understand that these are specific context for one, uh, instructions for one church because they had lost they had lost what was really going on. And that's the, the personal nature of our gathering. And God will generously provide all that we need. The fact is that God is the one who takes care of your needs. And now you are being asked by God to take care of each other's needs within God's family out of what you have, not what you wish you had. You got to keep it real. If you have $7 in the bank, you have no business of giving the church $300. God does not promise to give you $3,000 and I've seen the verses, and they are way out of context. God promised things to Israel he's not promising to you. And so when people manipulate you into giving by taking Old Testament promises for you, I want you to know something. You're being lied to. That's when it becomes a business, not personal. I don't want you to go broke. I don't want you to give more than you have. I don't want to make promises on God's behalf, but I do think that if we're going to be obedient to God, we are going to have to participate in his plan, and that includes giving. By the way, just to be clear, Julie and I give every month at least 10%. Jeff and Alicia Bonin, I don't know their percentage, but they give every month. Why? Because we talk about it. Some months are tight, but they still give. Chad and Teresa, I check their giving records. We can keep him on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I'm assuming they give. I don't know about them. We don't sit and talk about this. But our elders give because they believe in this. This is our task as well. You see, we're all in this together. My gift is preaching and teaching. An elder's gift is overseeing the flock. A Bible study leader's gift has their gift. Your gift is where you serve with children. Giving. Some of you have the gift of giving. You make a lot of money. You enjoy giving. Give it. The fact is, though, we're all invested. We're all in this together. This is family. It's personal and not business. Uh, okay. I want, I want to get personal because this letter's personal. One more thing about giving, then I'm moving on. Can you open your worship guides? <clears throat> now, for the cynical among us, I want to say that this message was not planned for this date because of this. This is the text we're in, and we'll move off next week, and we'll talk about giving again until it comes up. Understood? Either, if I'm not telling the truth, I'm lying, so I'm not worthy to be pastoring, but let me be clear. I just want to point this out. 
If you look on the first page at the bottom, you see the partnership summary. The reason we call it a partnership summary is because we're in this together. And you can look as, a, as a, an active person in this family and you can hear what the budget is year to date is 119,798. And you can see what we brought in by year to day actual, 107,194. And you can see how much under budget we are. We're, we're, you know, I mean, we're still paying and stuff, but I want you to know that if everybody gave, that wouldn't be a problem. I, I don't have, okay? It's going to get uncomfortable. This is part of the message I hate to preach and I am sweating, but let me say this. I don't have rich people I can pick up the phone. Some guys do. I don't have that because that's not how I play. I, I, I don't know, and I mean this, I don't know what you give. I don't look at what you give. I don't want to know what you give because I would treat you differently. Let's be real. If I found out that Donna Smart gave $15,000 a month, I would bring tea every week. <laughs> I'm not that good. So I have a Karen Watson, and I had a Jim Haley, and he quit me. <laughs> and I have a Wendy Douglas who enters every week, and I walk in, and she's got all those pink envelopes, and I don't ever look at them. And I, I got to tell you, it's incredible, the team we have. I walk in, there was one day in December where she had tears running down her face. I said, what are, you, are we that bad? No, I just know these people are really hurting for money and they give so regularly. And I'm like, oh my gosh, go back to your office, Mark. But you realize that, that there's no secret stash of funds. We do based upon what you allow us to do. We're in this together. And that's exactly how God wanted it to be for us to need each other. There was a church in Ohio, an old Methodist church that had done fairly well through the years, but they had a ton of property. We, uh, I know this church personally. And one day, uh, Home Depot came along and bought up about 25 acres of their property and built a Home Depot and other stores, a giant eagle, remember that? And this church all of a sudden had so much money and the financial people in the church actually put it in a trust and they were able to pay their expenses out of the trust. That is a great business decision. Within a year and a half, they were down to about 35 people. Do you know why they didn't need people anymore? God did not design it. So let me be clear. If every one of you start giving and we end up with $12,000 over budget, I promise you we will spend every penny of that. I promise. The only reason we have a budget is so we can keep saying, okay, we're falling back. This is where we are. Because every healthy family has one. But I want you to know that our goal is not to have $50,000 extra. We're going to spend that bad boy on people. We're going to encourage people with it. We're going to send out more missionaries. We're going to make sure it gets global. We're going to send people to Samaritan's Purse. And if we run out of people to give money to, you know what we're going to do? We're going to find somebody to give it to. We're going to bless the Pregnancy Help Center. We're going to bless the Mosaic Center. Or we're going to get some of you on a plane to go to Turkey to serve the Lord. Our goal is not to make money. Our goal is to take care of our family business. Does that make sense? Can I move on? Good, let's do that. So the fact is, though, that all this, it sounds like, from, from, the, from the straw man that we're creating, it sounds like pastors have it all together, so respect him and give, and that's all great. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. But the truth is that pastors are sinful people like everybody else. And you saw that in, in uh, the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus is a mess because some of their shepherds were starting to teach false doctrines. Remember that? So here's the cool part. Paul actually gives instructions on how to deal with a sinful shepherd. And here they are. In verse 19, he says, do not listen to an accusation against an elder. 
I want to pause. It's real simple. That's so that slander doesn't happen. You know how easy it is to slander somebody that can't hear. And that's been a poison of the church since its inception. By the way, if you study Acts, you can see that the church struggled with that in relation to widows. The, the uh, Gentile widows were feeling like the, Jew, the leaders, the Jewish leaders of the Christian church in Jerusalem were giving too much money to the Jewish leaders. So they were gossiping. That was when deacons started to come in because these were men of honor who would treat everybody equally. Don't listen to an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. By the way, that's not a new command. That's always been around the church. The truth is that when somebody is in sin and offends you, you go to them directly and quietly. Remember that? That's Matthew 18. That's church discipline. You go to them quietly. If they repent, if they repent, then you've saved them. They change their ways. You hug each other. You go on with the life, and you don't tell the church about the sin that you saw. It's as if they didn't do it. They're forgiven by you, and you move on. That's the principle. For an elder, he does some protection because gossip happens in the church. You don't like what a pastor counsels you. You don't like the wisdom. You don't like what he's teaching. So he tripled it. Before you attack a pastor, before you go to him or her, if she's a shepherd of your flock, there needs to be other people that are agreeing with you and willingly publicly say it. That's how you protect a pastor. Unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. Then you go through the confrontation. You confront them. They listen. Great. You go on. If they don't listen, look what you do to a pastor. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. <laughs> he doesn't mean that. Let's move on. I mean, there's two things that come to mind when I think this. First of all, every pastor is sinful, right? Except for me. Every pastor is envious, lustful, jealous, angry, discouraged. You know that, right? I mean, the funny thing about the church is everybody knows that's true. They just don't want to know it personally. So when they find it out, then they want to fire his rear end and get him out of there. That's not the instruction to the church. The truth is that you're to save me just like I'm to save you. Your job is to make sure Kip Havard, who's the chairman of our elder council, walks with God. And if you see him once again beating Paula, and I can use this example because she's stronger than he is. If you see him beating Paula, your job is to, with a couple witnesses, go to Kip and say, Kip, we love you. How are you? Kip's going to say, what are you going to say, Kip? How are you, Kip? Fine. Liar. Now we've got two sins to confront him on. I saw you beating your wife in the pregnancy help center parking lot. Three of us saw it, Kip. How are you? And then he cried. Or he bows up. When he bows up, you tell him, well, here's the deal. We know you did it. There's three witnesses. We're going to give you a week to repent of it and deal with it, and we'll go on like nothing happened. If you don't, we're going to deal with it in a biblical manner. And in a week, if he doesn't, we go to the elders. Two or three of you say, we have this concern. We saw this. The elders listen to it, and the elders go to Kip. If Kip bows up, we take it before the church. To be clear, you are never instructed to take people before the church in a public way. You are instructed to take pastors. <laughs> Nobody told me that before I signed up. <laughs> that really stinks, man. But do you know why? It tells that at the after. This will serve as a strong warning to others. Because you know what? It's a powerful thing to be a pastor of a church, isn't it? It's like a little kingdom. You've got your little coffee machines. You've got your little people. You've got your little political parties. You've got your bully pulpit. It's a dangerous place to be for a guy who's hungry for power, isn't it? 
That's how you keep us in check. And I assure you, if you do that to me, Jeff Bonin's going to live different on Monday. Because he's going to realize he's being watched. You know why? Because this is personal, not business. We need to walk with God, and every one of us take our eyes off of him, and we get selfish, and we mess things up. So this is not complicated. We take care of each other's needs. Some people we say, we're not going to help you. Here's what you got to do to solve that. We take care of our pastor's needs. We respect those in leadership. We talk to each other in love. We don't have old men hitting on young girls. All in this text. It's personal, not business, because any one of those things sends the church into a tailspin. Well, I don't think they should be doing this. And the answer is, well, it's not your church. It's Jesus Christ's church. Well, the elders sure ain't acting like it. But why don't you talk to them about it? And if they can't answer you from God's word or from a solid leadership decision, then we deal with it as a church family. It's not complicated. So don't listen to an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. And if you want to know if he's serious, look at the very next verse. 1 Timothy 5, 21. I solemnly command you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. That's the highest form of I'm speaking on behalf of God here. That's what he's saying. And even the most powerful of the angels. <laughs> a little weakness on Paul there. Apparently God's name isn't enough. So by the Holy Trinity and all the angels... Obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anybody. That's pretty serious stuff. Pretty serious stuff. In other words, how we talk to each other, how we treat those within our local church family with physical needs, how we treat our spiritual leaders, it matters. If you want to see the church done right, then you're going to have to decide to do church right. Let me repeat that. If you want to see church done right, and everybody in this church wants that, many of you have given up on church, and this is your last shot. You're tired, tired of hypocrisy, tired of the games played, tired of the power plays. If you want to get there, if I want to get there, then we're going to have to decide together to do it different, to do it biblical. And it's clear. This is not ambiguous. It's just right there. You will get the church you deserve from programming to vision to passion to even budget. You will get out of it as much as you invest in it. And that's exactly how God built it. Too often when we were young, we were told that you are God's plan A and he doesn't have a plan B. Let me just be clear. He could be a lot more efficient by sending angels to do his work, but he chose to do it through us because it makes us more like him. If we start caring for each other more than we care for ourselves, it changes everything. And that's what this is about. That's why it's personal and not business. That's how God built it. And Pastor Timothy is having a hard time. He's been called in to organize and round up cats. And so Paul ends this chapter with five specific words of encouragement for Paul. And I love these. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader because you really don't want to go through church discipline with them. I love that. I added the end. Do not share in the sins of others, which is really easy for a pastor to do. I know your mind goes to, well, what does that mean? Does that mean he's sleeping with people or what? It means we sit around and gossip about how stupid the flock is. I am... I've been in those circles of full-time pastors and even elders and deacons. Oh, gosh, the people you gave me, ah! You know, all of a sudden we become Jewish. Oi! <laughs> Don't join in the sin of others. This is our flock. This is my family. And there is an unspoken unspo rule in Texas. You taught it to me. My family may be, may be nuts, and I may talk about them, but don't you talk about them. <laughs> and that is, exists in the church. You're nuts! but you're my nut. 
And I can talk about it. There was a time when I came here, there was a lot of stuff, you know, uh, well, since I've been here, there's been a lot of stuff from love can turning from moist to wet to uh, uh, the homosexual marriage thing to women in the church. And I get calls from the newspaper because it's interesting to East Texas every time. Preacher, what is Carpenter's Way's view on this? And I say the same thing now every time. I say this with respect. It's none of your business. What, what do you mean it's none of our business? We just want to know. That's family matters. And to play it out in front of the world is not what God asked me to do. We'll deal it internally. Thank you for asking. Have a great day. That's why you don't see me in the paper very much. My job, if in fact, turning this county from moist to wet actually had people end up as alcoholics, and that creates more work for the church, then the truth is we should give beer away and then witness to them when they're drunk. <laughs> the world is the world is the world, and we're the saints, we're the church, we're the pillars of truth. Our job should be to reach people whether they're alcoholics, gay, or straight. And how we deal with that internally is how we deal with it internally under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and that is our business, and it's not the world's. And the mistake we've made in the church is we keep telling the church how they should do their thing based upon what God told us to do our thing. It is not the church world's business to give the church money. And i got to tell you something. When we decided that seniors and widows are taken care of through a governmental practice, when we started allowing the church to write off giving, the government got its foot inside of our moral compass. And i got to tell you, it makes me nervous to a degree the day they say if you are not pro-gay marriage, you know, your tax-exempt status is going to go away. Makes me nervous as a businessman, but I do know that it'll be a very purifying principle as a man of God. Because there's going to be a day, I, I, I got to tell you, when gay marriage became the law of the land, it made the flesh in me mad, but the spiritual side of me doesn't care because I never let the government decide who was married anyway. This is a spiritual thing you do when you get married. You are standing before God and his family and saying, we're going to do marriage God's way. What the government thinks of that is irrelevant. What God thinks of it is very relevant because he's the senior pastor of this church and our job is to do it his way and we don't have to advertise that with the world. It's none of their business. If they want to come in, I'm glad to tell them. But to advertise things that are going to offend the lost doesn't make any sense to me. This is our business. Just having a hard time. Five words of encouragement. Don't appoint a church leader in a hurry. Don't share in the sins of others. Dude, keep yourself pure. I love that one. Do you know why Paul tells Timothy to keep himself pure? Because there were probably good-looking young Jewish girls in that church. And if you think pastors, besides me, are beyond struggling, you are a fool. Pray for us. This is real. Really, really, really real. And we're family. So he writes to Timothy, he says, keep yourself pure. Why? Because there's a chance he won't. Don't drink only water. You're a mess. Try some wine. Okay, that's my version of the Bible coming out next month. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach. I get, I get nailed for this online all the time. You think that he was having drinking wine for medicinal purposes because he was an anxious little man. That's exactly what I think. It fits the context. He's freaking out. And he's like, at the end of the day, 
don't take a Tylenol PM. Just have a little glass of wine. Why? Because it's scary to be the shepherd of a flock. So he's advocating drinking. Next verse. <laughs> Remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are other sins that will not be revealed until later. Why did he write that to Timothy? I'll tell you why. Because after church one Sunday, John Rowan walked up, making this up. And he's smiling and everybody's looking, oh, look at John encouraging the pastor. And he leans and he whispers in my ear, I hate you and you're ugly and you're the worst preacher I ever had. God bless you. He prays for me and walks away and the whole church goes, John is such a godly man. And I'm up here going, what an idiot. (laughs) And nobody knows. That's what's going on with Timothy. And Paul is saying, chill, dude. That secret will be screamed from the mountaintop at the right time. You know why? Because it's a scary thing to be this guy. Almost done. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious. And all the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. You, little man, just be faithful to your task. I know that they may never thank you for it, but God will. Don't worry. Stay the course. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and its relevancy to Carpenter's Way in 2017. I pray that you'll take all the mark out of the message and your Holy Spirit would transform us through, the whole, through, through his power, the same power that resurrected Christ. I pray that the areas that we need to be convicted in and changed will come to light and we will, we will, be, a, we will be faithful and obedient to accomplishing those things because we love you and because you're our senior pastor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study will start in 10 minutes.